welcome back. Another episode. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places. <laughs> oh God. Have you been learning have you been learning how to perform during all this or what's happening? No, no, I'm still doing homework. I have all these other things that, you know, just pile up as you start to procrastinate and let the mental health just do its thing. Oh man. It's not been fun, I'll tell you that. Well, I I another another episode, another another day in in quarantine. Um I'm happy again we could, you know, we could uh still be recording these episodes and we found a sort of way to to uh to bring it back. Um Yeah, we really hope that wherever you're listening that you are enjoying our content. <laughs> As low in self-esteem as that's sounding, my my self-esteem is kind of taking a hit as well. So this is the only only way I can perform in life now. Well, see, that's the thing, and that's I guess that's what we're well, that's what we're trying to do as well, right? Is we're trying to um, be able to provide some sort of uh, an escape. But like the escape is not only for viewers, it's or listeners. In, in our case, it's really for uh, for us as well. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, so on that note, I'm Merrick Bizarri, and I'm Mark Weingast. And this is this is the year podcast uh, again recording in uh, in quarantine uh, in the isolation <laughs> chamber that is our rooms. <laughs> I'm missing uh, I'm missing Astrolab Studios. I can say that for sure. I'm yeah. missing the studio days and you know going through I guess like old uh, you know older photos of previous episodes. I'm excited when we are going to be able to go back in there uh, and actually record. So one thing I've been uh, very fortunate enough to do is uh, sort of immerse myself in very new uh, film work and, and, and television series. Uh, and one of the films that I've been fortunate enough to watch is uh, Terminally in Love. Uh, immediately after watching the film, I, I knew that I really wanted to chat with, uh, with its creators. And so today we have uh, the filmmakers behind Terminally in Love, Emily Jenkins and Justin Black. Hello. Hello. Thanks for us. No problem. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on board and 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 uh, and arranging us in your in your busy schedules. Um, so I guess let's just let's just start it off. Just uh, tell me tell me uh, three things about yourself that people don't actually know. Um. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's important for the listeners out there to note that Eric has a beach behind him. I think that just like sets a good tone for this for this podcast. I've been recording at the beach this entire time. I have no idea what you're talking about. Before the quarantine yeah. I just I just I just got out of here. Like well watch. Now I'm at a party. I'm at a party. Whoa, he's with the Kardashians. Oh, cool. <laughs> with the Kardashians now. See they're doing okay. They're doing fine. Like they were like quarantine doesn't matter. I don't um but no I've been I've been at the beach for a while. Um so that's something people do. Yeah. But I think, yeah, just to paint a picture, Eric's at the beach. I'm at a desk. Justin looks like he's in his bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm Emily. Um, um, I'm the co-director of Terminally in Love with uh, Justin Black. We're longtime friends and collaborators. We met at uh, Ryerson, and we've worked together over the years in a um, variety of different ways. Um, in our previous short film, I wrote and directed, he was the director of photography. Um, other times he's directed music videos and I've produced them. So we've always had a really great working relationship and Tremillion Love represented our first, 
uh, time as co-directors, which um, I think was really successful, um, you know, creatively challenging and uh, just really stimulating overall. So I think we want to continue that um, forward to future short films and feature films. And then um, on the side, I'm the director of creative development at Guru Studio, which is an animation um, studio in Toronto focusing on uh, kids' content and cartoons. So I'm cartoons by day and then moody, edgy, live action stuff by night. That's very cool. Uh, and Justin? Uh yeah, yeah. Basically, what Emily said for our origin story, I, I work mostly as a DP for commercials and and films primarily. Um, yeah, we made Terminally in Love together. Very cool. And so I'm very interested in sort of like the creative, so you're, the creative relationship you guys have, because a lot of um, I don't personally, I don't know a lot of uh, filmmaking teams in regards to directors. Um, I recently co-directed something, uh, my first one uh, co-directing with someone uh, recently. And so I'm just, just want to know like how, so I guess detail, like how, how you guys met and how sort of that creative process has like flourished from the start. Yeah. I, I, I'm often asked just how the co-directing relationship goes because it, it does seem to be a rare and, and kind of like re really potentially volatile thing or, or that it, it takes like the right ingredients for it to work. This is the only time that I've attempted it. Um, but I, I, I can see how I, I can see when I, when I look at it, like just how many compatibilities there need to be for it actually to, to work as, as well as it has. Um, but I, I actually got into DPing kind of because of Emily. Like we we met in second year at Ryerson. Um, prior to that, I was just you know making videos that then became short films, and I was just like general filmmaker guy. But through shooting a uh, it was a, a web series for for her at the time, um, I, I kind of realized oh, yeah. that yeah yeah the the DPing was that kind of distilled the elements of filmmaking that I focus mostly on, which is you know the, the visual storytelling and tone setting and, and all of that. So w without me knowing it at the time, that that's what kind of struck me out of my direction. Cool. Yeah, I think we have very complementary skill sets. Like, um, yeah, Justin's an amazing cinematographer and mm -hmm. his knowledge of like lenses and just cameras and I think composition in general and lighting kind of like far exceed my knowledge and he's really good at polishing an image like i think he is you know always has a more um uh more technical knowledge in the color grade aspect as well whereas i think my strengths kind of lie in um in writing in sort of working with actors um i think we both are kind of equally compatible in the like editing and sound design um aspects so we i feel like we're always kind of like jamming really well on those um in those departments so it's it's kind of nice because i feel like we have um you know uh complementary strengths and weaknesses um so it kind of evens out um overall well that, that yeah. stuff kind of reflects the the conventional director dp relationship but i, I think there's something kind of interesting in, in the way that we that we overlap on the directing and story development front um, yeah. In a way that I'm not sure I, I know how to dive into or access, but that that's that's the interesting part to me. Yeah, I think we I think we both like are really down to 
like analyze every creative decision to, you know, to the point where we've like completely exhausted it, but it usually ends up being a better product because we've like either, you know, fought for certain things or debated certain things that it always ends up being a middle ground that was probably unexpected, but ultimately better. Right. And, and it's, um, it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, just before. So like the, because, because your film is, is very abstract in the way of which both visuals and, and sound come into play. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious at how sort of you, you decided like from a, from a beginning, did you like the beginning of your sort of uh, creative relationship? Um, did you guys implement a sort of strategy in regards to how you wanted to approach material or did you find that you were discovering each other's talents throughout the process? I, I feel like by the time we got into Terminally in Love, we had a, a pretty good sense of, of how we worked respectively. Like um, on our, our last film, which, which I shot and Emily directed, like we, uh, I and the team were involved in the script writing process. So like it wasn't the exact kind of balanced co-director dynamic, but we've, we've been through it before and we, and we kind of knew what it was like. Um, yeah, the, it's, it's interesting that the, the film itself is relatively abstract, but it's, it was supposed to be coming from a place of representing what the human experience is like. Like it, it starts with this kind of abstract color sequence, but that, that was oriented in, in a, a genuine attempt to show what it looked like when you're falling asleep, like, you know, with artistic liberties and, and, uh, and, and such, it's, it's not exactly literal, but the, the whole basis of the film was, was kind of rooted in that self-experience. So like there, there's a lot of elements of like personal taste and approach and how you implement that, but having that kind of concrete yet like ephemeral and very subjective uh, uh, thing to latch onto, I, I think is kind of what, it, it was one of the, the guiding principle or, or it, was, it was one of our guides throughout making it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I know that sort of, um, you know, in, in, in other sort of directors relationships that I've studied, it's, it's more or less. Uh, and what's great in your case as well is that you both have sort of um, opposing differences in the idea of like, you know, there are specific elements that work more for, like if one person's more, uh, more story based and, and Emily, from what I'm gathering, you're more of an actor's director where you come in and you're able to sort of mold performances and it's more or less uh creative in that sense and then adjusting you from a from a technical standpoint correct well honestly i, I said that initially but i feel like we just do everything equally as well yeah. as yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined oh, to kind of, kind of resist that like technical yeah. duality because like we're we're both like deeply in all of it like I wasn't expecting Emily to have as many technical opinions as she did, but like literally everything was like, she was, she was fully in that realm. Honestly, the only severe disagreement we had throughout the, the creation of the film was when we were in the grade and it was an argument over whether we should sharpen her eyes or not. Um, that, that was like, that was the only thing where we were like actually at an impasse. Um, and it was this bizarre little technical quirk. Whereas like I, I'm, I'm also, you know, like, deeply involved with the story process and the way that it should feel and how we want to direct the actors and, and what, yeah. what kind of dialogue we're interested in and, and how we're trying to capture that. And mm. so it's, it's, it's a big mush. And so, yeah. So I, I'd say with, whereas like on paper, we have complementary like skill sets. 
mm-hmm. like in reality, it's like a complete hundred percent collaboration on every detail. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's yeah. fantastic. And so, uh, Terminally in Love specifically goes in between a lot of different environments and a lot of different settings. Um, and you and you truly have like a very uh, quite a quite a large uh, cast of of all kinds of characters. Um, I guess what was your sort of what, what, what did you find, I guess, production-wise was one of your biggest uh, sort of challenges in moving between all of those settings and, and, and characters? Well, it, it, um, it, Terminally in Love was a very process-oriented film. Yeah. And, and a lot, and I, I guess by that I mean is, is that we knew that we wanted to shoot certain scenes in different ways. Like there, there was the whole POV approach um, that, that some of the film is, is shot in. Um, which had a lot of its own technical constraints and there was like a lot of research and development and, and testing and, and just how to get that to work. Um, but it was kind of paired with a uh, like a, a wanting a sense of freedom and improvisation in a lot of the scenes. So we were kind of coming at it with these these contradictory ideas. On the one hand, we had this very technically demanding process that we were using to shoot a, bunch, a lot of the film, but we also wanted to shoot something that allowed for things to be free flowing and to create the like memories that, that felt real. Um, so there, there was a lot, there was R and D in the technical side, but there was also just, uh, our, our rehearsals, I, I think took on yeah. a, a little well, more my, than, yeah. than what, uh, well, that was my next question was about like the rehearsals and stuff too. And, and how to like, is you had a lot of shots that like moved seamlessly in between locations and like, including, like with these actors, um, sort of like their, their, their movements looked very choreographed, which was amazing, which was great. Like to, to choreograph movement is, is very tricky. Um, so that was my, my next question. Well, I think it was also kind of like built into the whole production approach. Like, for example, it was really important that for a park scene that when the character opened its eyes, this, there would be, um, they'd be looking like at the sun through the trees and, um and have that like light play and so we ended up doing a lot of things like getting permits in an, on a park for multiple days because we're like we just want to be able to switch the entire shoot day around depending yeah. on the weather so one of the days we ended up um knowing it was going to be sunny and just calling all the cast for that scene and being like are you available this morning for us to switch the days and then we just made that happen so it was like going into production with not only like improvisation within scenes but improvisation within like the shoot schedule to Mm -hmm. allow you know to prioritize the things that we wanted to capture yeah there there were a lot of different look like that that was that was the one scene where we had decided that it must be sunny which which is kind of an unreasonable constraint to, to put on something a, a lot of the time, but that, that was the only one that it, it needed to be. Everything else was like, oh, it should be this, or like this, this isn't important, this could go either way. Um, yeah. But it, it, it was really a balance of, of scenes, scenes like that, that had to be a certain thing. And uh, the way that we shot uh, the memories, there, there was a lot of figuring out to do in that regard, just like, like we, we shot most of the memories in third person, um, just because early on, like one, one of the big, big questions was like, can people act while looking into a camera? Um, and it turns out that it it actually has a, a, a big impact because when you're when you're looking at somebody, you you kind of you don't have as much to like 
by, by looking at someone else's face and reacting to what their face is doing, it subconsciously affects your performance in a way that's like really, really hard to replicate. Um, so that, that was one of the reasons why the most intimate scenes in the film were shot in third person. Um, this is after like considering and discounting like a, a mobile Lanteratron setup where you could like see her face in front of the lens. That that was talked about. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. But um, yeah, where was where was I going with that? Yeah. Just in terms of like rehearsing in scenes yeah. and shooting third person, like and, like how much uh, how much rehearsal were you able to do before the shoot as well? A good bit. Like we, it, Emily and I and Sharon shot several rehearsal slash camera tests in which, yeah. um, cause like there's, it, it's, it's a memory of relationships and there, there's a lot of like physical intimacy implied in, in the, in the blocking of that. So yeah. part of the, part of the workflow for us was just to be, was just to be like, how, how do we physically get a POV shot or something that's supposed to be a POV shot? in bed like how do you how do you block something like that and what kind of rigs are required to even get the camera in that position um like what yeah so there it was it was a question like both of the rigging but also just of what worked for the performances and it, it was a way for us to build comfortability in in the roles uh between emily and and sharon and also to generate ideas for for scenes and also just like, you know, Sharon and I acting with Justin, like literally a foot away at all times um, because of, yeah, that POV nature. And so we had rehearsals where we were like, let's get into a bunch of positions and see what's like physically comfortable. And then we had other, which was just like for the intimate scenes. And then we also had rehearsals where we would go to location and just like basically film the blocking and then edit that together and see what it looked like and then realize that we can't possibly shoot all those locations in the time we have and then rethink that blocking like we did a lot of um it was almost like two different types of rehearsal one was for like cinematography and one was for like you know the more like emotive uh getting comfortable stuff yeah and so i was gonna uh, to transition into that i was gonna say emily what was it like for you to go from filmmaker to also actor as well? Um, it was simultaneously, uh, on one hand it was great because I felt like I was directing via acting, mm -hmm. like especially for the POV stuff because basically uh, we had like a walkie talkie system where I could sit at the monitor and um kind of just like talk what the character was thinking and then justin would like react to that um with the um with the framing and the body actor would also react to that simultaneously so if i was sounding really tense she would like twitch her fingers more and justin might like i don't know slightly like you know look down at a certain moment and so on one hand that was great and on the other hand i hated it um, because it was just like a lot <laughs> and I, uh, I can imagine like taking, I just got used to like, I, I, like no one likes looking at themselves and I just had to kind of like disassociate, which probably ended up being why I ended up like bleaching my hair blonde so I could like distance myself from the character and just get used to like looking at myself on a monitor all the time. Mm -hmm. So I, at first it was like really annoying and then you just kind of accept it. 
You yeah. you said that that was uh, so that we could easily differentiate you on screen, but uh, you know, disassociation tool also fair. It's, it's true. It's also, because yeah, you're right. Because Sharon was also brunette, and we were like, if we're seeing two heads closely, how do, how are they going to know who's Quinn if Quinn yeah. is never on camera or on camera less? So I, I think it's it also was, yeah. How in, in in this film the the writing. Uh, or sorry, the the acting influenced the writing process so thoroughly because so so much of the way that we wrote the script was through Emily making like st improvised stream of consciousness recordings, both in prep to get a sense of the voice of the character, but also in post. And we kind of realized during developing it that like that it, we we would need to find an actor that was able to generate that kind of stuff in a way that fit the the story. And so it, it was. It, it was like partially a logistical decision, or or just not. That's that, that's that's not the right way to put it. What we, kind of though? We were like, who's going to be so available all throughout the editing process? Yeah, can't bring another person into yeah. this. Well, yeah. so when you guys when you guys started off with this project, from you know concept to realization to production and post, like, did you find that you were? that you ended up with the same product you had originally planned for, or was there sort of like throughout the writing process and especially production and then post, um, did you always have that sort of like non-linear style or did you approach that style through production? I, the, the creating of the script was, was very iterative. Like it, it was, uh, I, I'd originally written something kind of vaguely resembling it and had approached Emily to produce the project. Um, yeah. And we, we decided that she would, that, that basically became her writing and, and co-directing it. And, and from that point, it's, there, there was just, yeah, a, a, lot, a lot was considered to get us to the place of the shooting script, which included like Quinn dying and the, and, the, and like most of the film being like a, a death dream. Like, I, I don't know, there, there's a lot that went into creating the thing in the first place. But once, once we had the shooting script, um, it, it, it was the mix. I, I, would, I don't know. What do you think, Emily? I think it like fairly reasonable. The, the, the film that we have is pretty close to what we had, but there was a lot of room for interpretation and reordering things. I think it's pretty, I think in terms of like scene structure, it is pretty much the script. Like, yeah. We knew it was going to have these like intro outro dream sequences. Um, there's a very deliberate like climax in terms of like a sex scene and then a chaotic, stressful streetcar scene and that evolving into the dream. Excellent. There's like some very choreographed like dreamlike like memory sequences. I think so. In terms of like structurally, I think it's like very close to the script in terms of the random. Uh, thoughts Quinn was thinking. I think it's tonally similar, but I ended up improvising a lot of stuff in the post process. Like I think most of the opening park scene where I was like mumbling about a cheesecake snack is not the script. And like, I think at one point we were, I was like rapping over the shower scene and that was also not in the script. So we found a lot of freedom with like what the stream of consciousness was um, so most of the on-screen dialogue, I think, was per the script. We shot that in a traditional way, but all of the stream of consciousness stuff, I'd say, does not resemble the thinking or that was in the script. Yeah, some, something we, yeah. we realized was that, uh, like, we as we were editing, we had, like, a little... We, we had a microphone that was recording uh, the thought voiceover into Premiere, 
And we were, the idea was that we were going to use it as a guide track and that we were going to re-record it in a professional studio. But something that we realized when we got there uh, into the, uh, into the voiceover recording was that a lot of the spontaneous performances that we were just making up in the editing suite were like, once we replicated them, it, it just didn't feel the same and it was impossible to get them to feel the same. Um, so a lot of what's in the film was just like recorded in my bedroom for that reason. Cause it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, and, it's really hard. Like maybe, well, I was just saying like maybe a more skilled actor could have replicated those performances better, but like, I don't know. I couldn't well, do it. I just, I just think it's, it's interesting because I've seen, I've seen films of sort of this like similar chaotic nature and in speaking with those filmmakers you have some filmmakers who say you know oh we you know we had a we had a rough plan and an itinerary but then we end up going on set and we improvise um and so i was just wondering sort of like what your thoughts on that were where do you as a filmmaker feel a lot more content with arriving on on set with a plan with a sort of um i guess like a conventional like shot list and all that and you and you and you shoot as you originally planned, or do you find or do you find some sort of excitement in like being able to? I guess what you were saying with some of your lines being improvised is like, do you find sort of an excitement in like being able to shoot and and, and take advantage of that improvisation essentially? Honestly, I I think that that's project dependent. Um, yeah, we've we've only really been through co-directing something once, and and so like I I we we can speak to the way that. That we handled this, the the balance on this film in terms of uh, like or orchestration versus improvisation, and, and in that regard, it was um, it, it was very scene dependent. Like there there were certain scenes that, like for example, the the streetcar, um, that that was essentially entirely choreographed. So that, like that that extra would say something. Camera has to look here. Then this person throws that thing. Like we block that out in the parking lot by like drawing a streetcar on the ground. That was very much like what that scene was but then we also knew for the memories that we were going to get the the best stuff by winging it and and so for those we you know we had like topics and of conversation and things that we found in prep and like you know list list of ideas but those those weren't so much a shot list as, as just like notes and starting points so it's the two very conflicting approaches um not not conflicting but different um as to how we would approach a different film that's more conventionally structured and and paced and I, I, I think it would be a, a balance that uh, will get a lot of thought, but I, we, we haven't really done that in a while. I think it depends on the subject matter, because for this, the whole thing was like embracing fluidity of thought. And so we felt like we had to create an environment which allowed fluidity of performance, at least for like the, mem the memory scenes. Right. But like for the dream sequences, like that stuff was like heavily choreographed and executed. Like we meticulously blocked that out before. And I personally like that. Like mm -hmm. it makes me at least um, like, I like knowing what we have to get and how to get it because uh, that sequence was like really fun to edit. Cause it just like fit together yeah. and it just yeah. feels really good when that happens. It was, it was interesting how the, um, the shooting style had such a pronounced impact on what was involved in editing it because like we, we had like, you know, and early in the film, she has a panic attack, which is supposed to be like a flurry of memories. And we were left with like basically a documentary's worth of footage with like that we could interpret in any which way. There was just like way too much freedom in how we use that material. And then even like various scenes like in, in the film, we 
there was a lot of freedom in, in just like what thoughts were paired with the scene and how that affected the tone. And so there was, again, just like way too much freedom in that regard that, that by the time we got to the final scenes where it's like, oh, we actually had a shot list and there was like intentional shot to shot flow and then things weren't, I forget if we storyboarded it, but it, it was it was that kind of idea. Um, we're like, oh, wow, we cut that in 10 minutes. <laughs> that's that's yeah. Yeah. Versus like other 30 second parts of the film, which took us like months. Yeah. Oh, and just on the topic of improvisation, I just want to make note that Justin is the French narrator no. in the scene where that like Quinn is like wistfully remembering how great Ali is. And oh, that yeah. was something that was improvised um, where we knew we had a scene that was intent to be filled with like longing yeah. and um, like looking at it through rose colored glasses. But then I can't even remember why Justin started like recording and it was just so funny that we were like okay i guess this is what's gonna happen now that yeah that that's that's something i just started riffing while we were like looking at clips in in random order uh and then we laughed enough that we decided it would be a good idea to make it a scene in the movie and and that that was that was one of those things where we tried re-recording it to you know get my accent better or whatever but uh it just yeah. didn't feel the same so the uh you know that that ripped guide track kind of ended up creating a scene that, that was one of the only times when that happened when we just kind of like on a whim found like a a major uh no that happened other times yeah how long how long did it take you to put to put everything together like from from concept to completed film let's see it's better than me um so i think i don't know man my memory's kind of sketchy but but in in the like in in the basic flow of the thing we we started working on the script um and then we shot a proof of concept film which was like a three minute thing uh that we shot over three days and took through posts because there, there was a lot that we just needed to figure out on on like because like we we had ideas of the like what does it look like visually if you flow through memories. Is it a crossfade? How many memories can you show in a second? How many times can you dip in and out of reality without it being obnoxious to watch? Like there were, there were just a lot of like structural things primarily that we needed and to figure out. Was this proof of concept filmed for funding or was it filmed just to sort of like get your bearings and stuff? It, it, it was, we, we did use it as a funding tool. Um, cool. And so I, I think like including that process, um, I feel like from the time we started writing the script to the time we shot it took like between one year and 18 months ish or something to that effect. Okay. And then post, I, I think was another year. Um, and that, that was working at it like pretty, pretty regularly. Like we, we didn't really let it hang. We were going at it like, I forget, were we cutting in the summer or was, was that a weekend thing or? We took like four day, days to like edit it, and then it was like every single weekend because I work Monday to Friday. So yeah, um, yeah, it was like pretty consistent. Yeah, I think we had like five color grades um, at Alter Ego with with Clinton back when he was there. Um, yeah. really extensive sound process that involves you know going to Montreal where our uh, sound supervisor lives and works from, which is a fun little vacation and. Uh, Footsteps Foley, that was cool. Little uh, Foley recording farm, or originally studio nice. out in the middle of nowhere. 
on a venture. And so even in even in like story wise, did you guys delve normally from personal experiences bringing into this, or did you consult anybody you knew? Because um, I'm so fascinated with sort of how, like, even in your voiceovers and everything coming into coming into the film, um, can you speak, I guess, towards uh, especially for all like you know other emerging filmmakers and creators listening to this, um, can you speak to sort of your your process of actually writing? Do you prefer in always writing from personal experiences, or, or is there always like a a specific writing style that you generally uh, relate to? I mean, in terms of the personal experience thing, I think Justin went through a breakup before the movie and that's kind of what started the movie. And then I went through a breakup during the movie, which like greatly contributed to the movie probably. So like there's that element of like both of us going through breakups, which probably helped the film um, ultimately, even though that's a bit like weird to say, but. um, No, I mean, that's, that's sort of great in a way, right? Because when things like I, right from personal experience as well. I think that's where the most honest storytelling comes from. And so when you have these sort of experiences that happen, especially, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how, uh, how difficult that must have been for you, but even in this sort of process of making this film, um, it must have been sort of cathartic in a way to sort of reflect what you were feeling inside onto this piece. It, it definitely felt like we had an emotional compass as to like what certain scenes were supposed to feel like. What do you think, Justin? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm in a very I'm in a very different place now, but it was it was definitely useful for a time to make like just d- directly translate emotional baggage into creative content. So yeah, yeah that's uh that that process was was very yeah cathartic. Nice. Um, and so bringing it sort of um trailing off a little bit and bringing it back um you guys growing up as as uh well people what, what did you did you grow up in sort of creative households um what was that what was that sort of like did you go to like creative art schools and and, and such like that um i did not grow up in a creative household everyone in my family is in like business so oh. I was probably the first one in my family to, yeah, kind of go into the arts. Yeah. So um, I initially was in like a private school in high school for two years, but then really didn't like it and transferred into a drama program at a public school. And so I was like, you know, a drama kid for several years. As well. uh, and then, yeah, went into Ryerson. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, it's kind kind of same. Like I, my parents were. I mean, like my mom has a graphic design background, but they're they're not really in the arts. Whenever I show my dad something I make, he's like, "Well, you know that that you you did a good job." Like, and then when I I try to pry further, he's like, "Well, you know, I don't I don't really have like the the deepest mind for this kind of thing, but like it it was good work." I'm like, "Thanks, thanks, Dad." But yeah, my, my parents always really supported me in whatever I chose to follow. Um, and video cameras got into that at a pretty early stage. Um, and then I, I had a good, uh, I had a good contact teacher in, in high school, um, and had the benefit of like being one of relatively few kids who actually wanted to use the class for making videos instead of smoking weed. So I, I, I kind of had free reign of the gear and a lot of support there too. 
Nice. Nice. And, and so even, even growing up as well, did you find that you're like, how did your, like, did you guys always know you wanted to become filmmakers or did you have other sort of career aspirations? I thought I was going to be a cop up until like, uh, up until like basically when I started university, like I, I think even when I was applying for university in grade 12, I was like, that doesn't, film doesn't seem like a real sustainable career. I'll, I'll be a cop with four days on and four days off and I'll make movies in my, in my spare time. Um, I've, I've kinda shifted my um, personality and, uh, and values and I'm, I'm quite glad I am, I am not a cop. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 like I always knew that I enjoyed filmmaking, but I, I think a, a little later than I, it took longer than it should have for it to sink in. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, this should also be my career. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely like wanted to be an actor and then I'm really glad that my dad was like, please don't go to university for acting. Um, just cause I don't know if it's, you know, you have to like also, um, I want you to have like more options or come out with like a wide skill set. So I ended up going into production, like, you know, radio and television, but I've always been a writer. Like I've always written poems or short stories. I think I'd written like us two screenplays by the time I applied to Ryerson. Oh. Um, so I always wanted to be a and so yeah, I've always wanted to be like a writer and then I always wanted to be an actor. And now I really like directing, but it's really just like the process that I think of working in media. Like I love working in animation too. So it's just like the process of creating things that I am generally attracted to. And I am kind of like flexible with my role apparently has like shifted in from production to production. It's just, um, yeah, it's just the process of making things that I like. And so Emily, you're, so you were, you were explaining before how sort of your day job, uh, revolves around animation. And then, um, and then after that, you're sort of doing, I guess, a mix or even just more live action. Do you find any of your, are you able to sort of have, um, uh, sort of creative direction with like specific projects that you're making within the animation world. And do you find that like, I know there's like vastly different genres, but do you find strangely enough that like some of the elements of animation and live action are sort of threading together? Totally. I actually think that they're both making me a better creative because I think my live action background has allowed me to be really nimble and quick in the animation world where like normally everything takes a really, really long time. Like I feel like I have this nimbleness that I've been able to kind of bring to the studio. Um, Cause I'm used to being like, Oh, if you don't get this shot before the sun goes down, you're just not going to get it. Whereas like, that's not a reality that people in animation like live with. Um, and then I think working animation, the, the detail that and choices that go into every single frame like they're literally for every single character on screen you're choosing the exact proportions you're choosing the exact material of their clothes you're choosing the texture of their hair like it's just so ultra specific that it just makes me feel it or just made me try to like yeah be more deliberate about making choices in the live action space it, they're very it's like the same but different and they're both they're yeah. both good yeah and so, uh, Justin, just a bit, a bit more about your background in terms of, um, in terms of, I guess, things you shoot. Are there any 
are there any genres or sort of moods and feelings that you feel you're more you're more geared towards or do you do you sort of stay within uh like do you do you prefer i guess in regards to terminally in love at least like more themes um uh more or less like romance and sort of like chaotic more absurdity uh and stuff um no i i I mean like in 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 my work i i shoot a lot of different things with a lot of different people and and so kind of the simple dumb answer is like you know as as long as it's good um and and that that comes in in a lot of forms you know I, i i can be really happy with uh a film that's like very mapped out and ultra specific and sticks to storyboards or something that's that's more freeform or whatever. I I, I think it's it's just about um, it, when you know when when you find when you find a relationship with with another filmmaker that you, you can get on the same page about what what you want to do and and how you want to do the thing in a, in a way that feels high quality. It's it's kind of that's that's where it's good and you, you can and that that can take a lot of forms I, I i think even in our in our own filmmaking like we're we're working on a a couple other projects now and and they're you know there there's common threads for sure because we're the yeah. same people and, and we bring like similar interest to it but um you know not not the same genre not the same tone um there i i, I guess what 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 does carry um I, I think I think there's there's a recurring thing of of like the juxtaposition of like comedy, but in a naturalistic way that is like rooted in pain and hardship and like a mostly yeah. happy shit like that 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 seems to be because I not not because I, I I don't know if that if that's like an actual true denominator, but I, and and not yeah. not because you know we've yeah. we've been through. So much as people, because uh, I, I, I haven't anyway. But I, I, maybe it's just because tonal that's juxtaposition. interesting. Tonal juxtaposition. Just yeah, yeah. Uh, tonal, yeah, yeah. That that and um, thing, things that are rooted in you know real real feeling of people. Mm-hmm. And so the I mean the response. So uh, the response to your film has been has been fantastic, and you've played at numerous festivals and gotten a lot of sort of acclaim is any of that sort of how how is that sort of phasing you and, and what and what you do in your work now are you sort of using that as a tool for motivation um what what, what do you sort of expect moving forward in your in your next project I, I i don't know like we the the various um the various feathers in your cap from the festival run we we kind of you know there's there's the things you want and they're like oh good glad we got that one or didn't get that one, but there, yeah, there, yeah. a lot of it is like, cool. Now we have this tactical thing that'll allow us to apply for this grant down the road. Great, but um, yeah. I, I, I think like the 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 most feely, heartwarming things that I've gotten from this are just you know like a like an email from someone uh, who saw it in some American state at some festival we were at that it really spoke to them, or like a really nice paragraph from a festival curator or like it's the the, the, the most important like the, the vimeo staff pick felt great because we weren't expecting that but but the the most important thing the, the, the things that really landed with me the most are, are when it, it actually made like a real connection with somebody and they felt compelled to talk about it that that's cool nice cool and then so for um i guess for the other uh, sort of younger creatives watching 
because uh, I understand you guys are now developing a feature and moving into longer form. Uh, what would be your advice to sort of young creators who are looking at exploring uh, shorts and uh, and may even be on the path to to, to features? Make a short under ten minutes <laughs> and don't short <laughs> that's eighteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. I actually think we can get into a lot of festivals because of that. Um, or yeah. maybe you know that's what I maybe tell myself, but I, I, yeah. I definitely think that you know they can only program so many films, they only have so much time, and if you have an eighteen-minute film and they could show two nine-minute films in that time, like why are they going to pick your one film that's awesome over two other awesome films? So, yeah. like, I think we like convinced ourselves throughout the process that like 18 minutes was fine or I guess it's 17 minutes but um and there are obviously you are gonna see movies of that runtime programmed but like just avoid it if you can I don't know yeah I, that, that that's that's a big one and I, I I think that a lot of people know it uh, like we we knew it when we were going into this film um, but we were like, oh, this it just, we, we, we valued the story over the creation or over this like artificial constraint. And so we ran with it. But I, I think at the root of it, it's just really hard to make something that is, that is good and, and has the ideas that you want to have in it in, in like 12 or 10 minutes or, or less. Um, so we've, we really in, internalized that and are trying to seek out stories for or a, a, a format, a form for our next project that is its best self with, within that constraint. But yeah, it, it, it happens so often that as a DP, I get scripts. It's like, Oh God, another 15 page scripts. And, and it's, and usually people get there knowing that it shouldn't be that long, but their, their story brought them to that place in a way that, you know, it, I can't, it's, it, I, I can't judge because like we ended up in the, in the exact same place. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I think another thing is like, especially with all the grant applications, it's like you should have some idea of your audience. Like, I don't think it's, you know, most of the festivals that we ended up getting into were um, LGBTQ focused festivals. Um, and that's because of the subject matter of the film. And so even though I think we were programmed in some festivals for being like a weird genre film or an experimental film, I think the majority of the programming was, was that. And so, um, you know, not to say that you have to like be restricted to certain genres, but there's just this like level of practicality when that film festival programmers have to deal with. And I think, if you ignore the like boundaries and restrictions that film festival programmers have to go through, then you're kind of making uninformed choices. So um, yeah, it is definitely helpful to be aware of like the requirements of programming and the strategy of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just not creating a total bubble. Yeah. You know, I- you know, that is what makes something really unique is like creating in a bubble. So there's, I don't think there's like a rule, but there's just a special, there's a practicality that I think is just like, we might as well acknowledge it. And at least having some sort of like film fest, like festival strategy as well going into it. Right. And I like what you said about sort of knowing your audience, because I'm sure when, you know, I'm sure when you're creating or coming up with an idea, your first thought is, Oh, what is like, who am I trying to target and, and what festivals am I trying to, or maybe, or maybe you are, I don't know, but at least 
at least speaking off of my experience, is like really getting what you feel inside on a paper, making a vomit draft, you know, as long as that may be, right? And then um, like what Justin, what you were saying about length, where it's like, yeah, it's really hard to sort of like conceive a story within 10 to 12 minutes and you find yourself just like elongating it. And, and but then you arrive at 16, 17 minutes and it's like, wait, I'm arriving at the same place I told others not to be at. Um, so I think it also sort of depends on the filmmaker and, and what warrants the story as well. And mm-hmm. sort of having yeah. like creatives around you that, that almost like, you know, like you can go to for notes and you can go to for uh, advice and, and, and sometimes they'll, they'll keep you in check. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I, for sure. I don't, it, it's, it's really, it's really hard to come up with any piece of advice on, on how to make a film. Cause I, I, I think for, the, the advice that I would have given to us earlier on in, in making this is just be more aware of what other people are doing, watch more festival films, watch more short films in general. Um, but it, it, you know, you, you could, you could take that same advice and there, there, there's also a real balance of, of like, yeah, doing something that's derivative of the, of the general landscape and, and doing your own thing. So it's, 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 yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to distill what anyone. Yeah, I, I also will say, like, I think the thing that was like motivating throughout the process of making it, at least for us, was that like we were very confident every step of the way that we were making a film that we like. We're like, this is a great idea, and we don't care yeah. if it's dumb, and this is a great idea, and we don't care if it's dumb, and like we were kind of just like that was kind of like the mantra the whole time. Um, so there's that balance of just like also at the end of the day, making something that you actually like yeah. um, and kind of ignoring yeah. the reality, the balance, the balance of like ignoring reality and acknowledging reality. I think. Right. Well, cause that's going to show at the end of the day, right? When you're looking at your final product, you're not yeah. going to remember, you know, what sort of length you tried to achieve or, you know, Oh, we should have cut, xyz and whatever you're gonna you're gonna look at it and you're gonna this is a film you have to live with for forever um and especially during its run and how uh tedious festival marketing is and film marketing and all that um this is something you're gonna have to live with and so like you're not gonna remember that one note somebody gave you you know a year ago that said hey you know what at at 1202 to 13 that's completely irrelevant if you're happy with it then that's all that matters Um, yeah so then on that note, how, and I guess within this like quarantine and everything, especially, um, how are you, how are the both of you making this year, your year? Um, well, we just applied to uh, Ontario Arts Counseling and Canada Council for the Arts for a short film, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. um, we've also got a first draft of a feature, which will apply for funding probably after we make the short. Uh-huh. Um, so it's been a very, it's been very productive. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the least, which is, which is nice. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Justin, tell them about what you're making. Yes. What am I making? Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've been, I, I've got a lot of little experiments and projects running throughout quarantine. I've been shooting like a, I, I, uh, I, I bought a camera immediately before all production stopped, which was like, you know, kind of a blessing and a curse. I, I, I got an Alexa mini LF. So that's, that's just oh, sitting wow. in my apartment now. So on, on the one hand, it's like, 
oh rats kind of hard to pay this thing off at the moment but on the other hand it's it's like uh, i've never had a chance to like really master a tool and find all the weird optical shit that i can do with it um so i've, I've been kind of locked in here just just trying stuff uh, ma making a little little video diary with my, my partner and i with pinhole lenses that that's been fun um that's like a blessing. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually like mm -hmm. really emotional. Like he's underplaying it. It's actually really emotionally poignant, and it's really, I feel like, representative of the quarantine experience right now. Like I think it's gonna, you know, I'm excited to see when when he's done with it. And it's me when it's like done or whatever. Whenever you have anything, that'd be that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, listen, thank you, thank you so much for for coming on board. I think we. I think we did it. This was a great little conversation, um, and and honestly, good luck with good luck with your 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 grants and and the rest of the the rest of the quarantine. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having us. Is there any is there any uh, is there any sort of final words that you have for uh, anybody anybody listening? Um, just find someone that's awesome to work with because it's really hard making things alone. I think that's the other reason why we co-directed is that it's just like, oh, good. There's someone who can like, you know, hold me accountable. And it's just way easier having someone to make things with than trying to like fudge it yourself. It's too much work. It's too hard. <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. Um, and, and finding like close collaborators to, uh, I guess, rely on. And, and, and it's about more or less, you know, finding those collaborators you can rely on, but then making them aware that like, when they need you, you're there for them as well. You know, mm -hmm. um, all a collaborative process. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. You do. Thanks. Cool. Thank you.